0: Hello and welcome to the Creative Coding Podcast. I'm Ian Lobb. Um, no Seb today because it's one of our interview episodes and my guest today is Daniel Lever. He's a game developer and his uh, forthcoming game that's about to be released is called Seraph. Hi Daniel, welcome to the show. Hello,
1: thank you very much. Thank you
0: for having me. So, yeah, I mean, like, you're not someone who's been on my radar at all, and then just uh, the other day I was on Twitter and I saw your the trailer for your new game, and I just thought it looked amazing, and it rung a lot of bells with things that I'm doing as well with my own game to do with uh, platform games that let you that also aim, basically, Nice. Um, so that you can have shooting. So, yeah, do you just want to give a, a sort of intro to your game, if you can?
1: Sure, yeah. Uh, so... Seraph is basically uh, a skill-based acrobatic shooter where you don't have to aim. You know, you have to do all the shooting and all the evasive manoeuvres and other stuff that you get in platformers, but the aiming is taken care of for you by the game. And why did you pick that one element to
0: to sort of, I guess, focus on or, or not focus on, I suppose?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Focus on it or not focus on it. It's a good point. Um, yeah, so... It it really came about because I am a big fan of films like Equilibrium or Equilibrium, however you want to say it, and The Matrix and all the John Woo films. And they often feature a lot of cool gun carter or like dual wielding of pistols. And yep. anytime I've tried to enjoy a game that's offered that, they either uh, don't let you fire at two targets or they'll often let you let you fire at two targets but use a huge amount of bullet time or slow-mo to try and allow the player to actually aim, because right. our brain's not very good at aiming at two things at once while trying to control a video game. So it kind of came about after playing, playing Wet, I think it was in 2009. I was like, mm-hmm. this is pretty good. They've, they've actually tried to handle this by letting you aim your main gun and then your, your secondary gun kind of like shoot someone else automatically. And I thought... Why didn't they just go the whole way? What was the, what was was the the Why the restriction of having to have any aiming? Yeah. And so that's where Seraph came about.
0: That's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's a very um, fast-paced and sort of kinetic and crazy-looking game. Um, it's got some really nice character animation in as well. Where can people go and check out the trailer if they want to do that while they're listening?
1: Oh, blimey. Um, do, would you like me to spell out the uh, URL yeah, of the trailer? Yeah, that's a good, great I idea. Actually, yeah. if you go to the website, of course... Yep. wwwseraph gamecom And how do you spell Seraph? Uh, S-E-R-A-P-H.
0: <laughs> yeah, hyphen <laughs> game, like a, hyphen game.com. <laughs> game. And so yeah, if you listeners head over to there, you can you can see it in action, and you'll you'll know what we're talking about. But um, yeah, it's great. So what um, what engine are you using? We're
1: using Unity, as most people tend to do these days, it seems. <laughs> Did you? I mean, was
0: it one of these things where you didn't even have to think about it, or was it? Were you weighing it up with Unreal?
1: Or, uh, well, yeah, we did. We did discuss Unreal because Unreal is, has come on a long way since the the more um, uh, the less open years of Unreal, yeah. when it was more for just like AAA games. And I think what it came down to was that we'd already produced a game for Unity called Ironcast, and mm-hmm. Ironcast is like a it's like a puzzle game, but we felt that we knew the tools well enough, we knew the engine well enough that we could skip a lot of pre-production and a lot of headaches you'd get if we, if we switched Unreal. So really, we thought, yeah. I we mean, don't really need that extra. It work. is
0: quite sensible if you know one technology and you know it can, it can do what you want to do to just stick with that, right?
1: Mm, that's, what, that's what we thought, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so, uh, and we'll come back to Seraph, I guess, in a bit. But So what, what other games have you worked on in your career? oh blimey
1: okay because because you know nothing about i'm gonna assume you know nothing yeah absolutely uh, right so <laughs> i originally i got my first ever job in the games industry at a little known company called media molecule hey. who uh who made little B planet little B planet 2 and tear away and now they're making dreams for the playstation 4 and i worked there for uh well on and off for about eight years mm-hmm. I, I worked there like solidly for six and then left and did some other little bits, but always came back as a freelancer because I just love that, that studio. Yeah. Um, but as you might have noticed, they're not really into violent gun-carter games. <laughs> so ultimately, I had to break off and make my own studio at some point. So since I left MM, I created uh, Dreadbit, which is the name of my company. So it's D R E mm-hmm. A D B I T dot com, And uh, we produced our first ever game in 2014 which was called ironcast which is a steampunk mech combat puzzle game
0: (laughs) cool (laughs) and i think i did manage to see a little video of that and and that's one of these things where it's like a match three or some sort of puzzle in the
1: middle and then it's got a battle
0: happening as well
1: yeah yeah it's because i i love match three and i know it's got a little bit of a a bad rep these days because it's kind of been i guess shoved in everyone's face a little bit too much but I still love matching patterns and I love yeah. the, the addictiveness of, of seeing a chain of 14 different colors all linked together and just, oh, it's really nice. Yeah. So, it's one of those things
0: that's a sort of victim of its own success, isn't it? Because because it is so compelling, uh, a sort of mechanic.
1: Yeah. A lot of people do yeah.
0: things with it, I suppose.
1: That's it. So, <laughs> so we built we basically built that into a turn-based strategy game. So. And um, sorry, how many people on your team? Oh, wow. Uh, well, the, so the team varies per project. There is only right. one full-time employee at Treadbit, which is me. Bless nice you. <laughs> and uh, essentially what I do is I pitch my project ideas to a bunch of ex-colleagues and good friends of mine who work in game development. Yep. And if they like the idea and are thinking, oh yeah, I would devote six to eight months of my, my working life to that project, if they agree... <laughs> then they come on board and we make it. And if they don't like it, which they, do, they don't sometimes, the game just doesn't get made. Which I think is a really good way of testing whether your game idea's got any legs. Yeah. First of all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but on, uh, on iCast we had like four full-time employees on, 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 um, or like full-time freelance employees. Yeah. And on uh, Seraph we've got six. Wow. Okay.
0: Ah, well, that explains the sort of really high production values that you've got going on on there. Oh, thanks. I was wondering how you were sort of cheap that as one person. But yeah, so um, do you want to talk about wh- what you do and then all the different roles? Because I think not everyone who listens to our podcast is is on is in game development. There's people in lots of different fields of sort of creative coding. And so it's, it's mostly developers, but maybe people don't necessarily know how how the roles break down in a small studio like that. So could you sort of go through not necessarily people's names, but if you, you can if you want, but just what everyone does, like what the roles are?
1: Yeah, sure. Of course, of course. I'll start with me. Um, actually, I'll end with me, because I cover pretty much anything that isn't covered by <laughs> the other team members. So we've got two programmers. Uh, one of them is, is more gameplay-focused, as in he likes uh, character physics and he likes power-ups and you know uh, implementing particle effects and that kind of stuff. He's more of a um, second-to-second gameplay kind of guy. And we've got Andrew. That was Chris, by And we've got Andrew, who's a programmer who does more like system stuff so back end and ui and uh, to, you know the online networking the kind of stuff that isn't front and center but is still really important for the game working sure i mean do you have um do you have networking in this game uh we've got leaderboards right. and that kind of level but no um you know latency based online components we're not no. like we're not it's like not, it's to... not a multiplayer game no no that's right well I mean the funny thing is it of course could be but we you know as well as I do that if you do that you might as well double your budget because
0: yeah it's a huge investment and the the thing is putting in sort of um if you put in like local co-op or something that's a double-edged sword because as soon as you put in local co-op people will ask for why isn't it online co-op yeah
1: why isn't online why, why can't you just switch? <laughs> <'Cause>... <laughs> How how could it be so hard? It's like whereas if you just say, "Oh, we're making
0: a single player game," I think people will just totally accept
1: it. Yeah, that's it. It's a I'd, massive I'd irony, make, there. I'd love to make a co-op game. I co-op experiences are some of my my they're probably my favourite gaming experiences. They are
0: they are great, but I think it's like you know, for most people, it, it's not actually a situation that comes up very much like that. They get the chance to do local co-op. They just don't have like a friend handy. It's true and that's then true. so that's which is why people ask for online co-op but then that is just a, a technical a huge different thing you almost sort of need to think about that before you even make before you even design the game yeah that's it. it's going to affect like how fast the gameplay can be and things like that because you always have to account for lag and whatnot
1: that's true yeah so uh, but
0: you're doing there's a twitch element or something is that did i read that
1: oh yeah i was going to finish off my team you haven't
0: haven't oh okay sorry carry on yeah yeah, yeah. no No, carry on we'll we'll come back to that we'll wheel around
1: through them uh we've got darren who does animation so he takes all the 3d characters and 3d assets and he animates them uh we've got blair who is the 3d artist and she's done all the characters and she's she's a fantastic talent flipping amazing yeah yeah, they're lovely characters and and monsters really weird yeah nice little demon monster creatures and uh, and finally, as a full-timer, we've got Neri. And Neri is our uh, general 2D artist. So he does all the environments, and he concepts the characters, and he does, like, paintings and stuff. So, uh, Oh, and I do anything that isn't covered by those people. So production, design, balancing, bit of artwork, particle effects, that kind of stuff, really.
0: Yeah. So uh, like, you do a bit of coding,
1: or are you more on the design side? I don't side? do any coding. I've tried a few times, but every time I I try... The only thing that hits me is that someone else is better than me at this, and it will have taken a, a, a tenth of the time to do it. <laughs> and my role is probably best suited to be elsewhere. And uh, what was your what was your sort of job at, at Media Molecule? Uh, I was level and game designer. So I built levels for Lovely Planet, and I created game designs for different features and things. So okay, so. Did for Little
0: Planet? Did you actually did you use Little as the editor, or did you have a sort of separate editor?
1: On the first one, we didn't. The first one we had to have an editor because it wasn't finished yet. Right. Uh, <laughs> but on the second one, we built it entirely with PS PS3 controllers, and that's not even a, <laughs> that's not a lie. It's true. Uh, it wasn't even hard because the tools were really good. Uh, yeah. The only thing we used PCs for were things like t- optimizing, debugging, whether things could be faster in this scene or whatever. We'd like like upload it to PC look at what what we could do to make it run better and then yep. get back on the control pad and, and do it and it's, it was quite incredible, actually. To, to yeah, see that's each,
0: awesome. To, I mean, and that's a great example of sort of eating your own dog food, isn't it? Where if you're making a... Not that anyone would want to eat... I hate that metaphor. Cause that's no terrible one terrible metaphor. A, drinking isn't? your own champagne. Where, uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> by uh, using the product yourself. I mean, because it was a level editor-based game, basically. It, you, if If the level editor controls weren't fun to use or whatever, then... Or weren't easy enough to use you'd
1: be able to complain yourselves that's right and we added a lot of features actually that were um, sort of developer features that the, the, the public would end up having like yeah. we were able to remove physics from objects so that it would run better Right. Optimization. so we allowed like the the ghosting tool which would make things ghostly and transparent in the editor but then when you're playing the game they'd look physical and right. that's like how we packaged up basically a way of optimising <laughs> for people
0: that's cool. So, okay. So, you, yeah, that's awesome. So, you were sort of a level design. So, you, do you spend a, uh, your time in
1: Unity now, like moving things around and that sort of stuff? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Unity is the main tool of, that we use. I I love it. I I found it very intuitive to get into, and the the more I use it, the more I, I like it. Um, it never crashed on me, which is. Funny because some people complain it crashes,
0: but it never does. It, it used to be a bit more crashy than it is now. Like when I first started using it, but then also I started using it on a not very powerful PC, which probably explains some of the crashiness. But it was yeah. a bit more crashy, to be honest. <laughs> they, they have done a lot of stuff on stability recently. Um, are you are you sort of right up to version five point something, or are you?
1: Uh, yeah, we're on five. I don't actually know what we're on but 5.3 or something yeah Yeah, right it's the fives yeah 5.3
0: I think is pretty much the latest
1: I think the only thing that I would say that is a bit of a shame about uh, about, um, Unity is that when it comes to PS4 development because we're making a PS4 version of Seraph right is I I think that I'm not a technically minded person right so this is might be wrong but I think the game the Unity engine is not threaded properly for multiple cores for PS4 so I think it
0: all goes through one core. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've it. heard that basically before because, well, when you're programming in Unity, all of your C Sharp stuff, at least, is happening on a single thread. Like the main game flow, you never have race yeah. conditions or anything. So I, I guess they do some other stuff on other threads, like loading and graphics and stuff like that. But yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not ideal. It does that, I mean...
0: Yeah, I mean, because, well, I mean, we've talked about this with another guest. Um, I can't remember who it was, because we've had, so my last two game developer guests, I had Adam Saltzman last time, and then I had uh, Moo Yu, who was also a medium Molecule person. Ah,
1: Moo, he's a good friend of mine.
0: Oh, awesome. So, yeah, and I think with both people, I had conversations about Unity on the PS4. Yeah, Um, he's probably doing the same thing right now. (laughs) What with, you know, because Firewatch, I had people moaning on the forums about, how it ran, and then also Broforce had some issues as well. Ah, uh,
1: yeah, I, I actually posted on Eurogamer about Broforce to not defend them because I don't, I don't know the guys personally or anything, but it was more like, here's a good idea of of what probably happened, and it was more all right. Like, okay. The line of, um, it, it was a big post that just said, you know, the truth is they had this game running so smoothly and uh, so ridiculously fast on PC that they looked at the specs of the PS4 and. Went, <laughs> yeah. no problem this will run this is run <laughs> 60 no problem What? What? and it was probably after deals were signed hands were shaken money was handed over and and actual deadlines were put in place that they you know a month into the project they probably went ah oh, this uh, this is not going to be as easy as we thought and they realised it's nothing down to their own code or their own assets or anything it's just purely the way Unity handles it and I can just imagine at that point they were like it, oh crap we've got to launch this thing in a month what are we going to do
0: yeah, it's, it does seem illogical, though. There's something going on. Unity, no, I'm sure they've got smart guys who are figuring yeah, this stuff I'm sure out. I'm sure.
1: I'm sure they're cracking it, and especially as it's like
0: PS4 is the platform of the generation, really. Yeah, That's I mean, like, and it is a really fast
1: processor and a has yeah, got good yeah, graphics. And, if so, it can run Metal Gear Solid 4, uh, 5 at 60 frames, it should be able to run, you know, little Unity games.
0: Sure. I mean, um, one thing it could be is just that, you know they had only a certain amount of time they might have agreed to a a release window which is something that happens right Mm -hmm. you you agree to shift on a certain date and then you maybe didn't don't get enough time to test and debug as you sort of need
1: maybe i don't know who Who can say we can't say (laughs) who can say
0: i wonder um yeah i mean do you so i guess you guys have got like the the ps4 dev kits or are you not that far advanced yet in the
1: sort of whole process we do we do have the ps4 dev kits i've got a i've got a test kit because i don't need a dev kit right i just basically just play I just, I is that play closer to a, a retail um unit or is it still yeah a i think thing? it's basically a retail unit with a few extra hidden options like you can you can force the the game to run slowly or you can force the hard drive to fail and Okay. other stuff like that but basically it is a it's a retail kit so if if you want to really test your game out it should be on one of those
0: yeah i mean that's the only place really to to know but then maybe see maybe that even is faster and that's why maybe it runs you know maybe people get these things running great on on even a test kit but then a real t- retail kit's got some small differences that that do something yeah who maybe can, who can say <laughs> Yeah, I was a bit underwhelmed by uh the the Microsoft um Xbox One any everything is every console is a dev kit stuff.
1: Well, I I actually haven't paid attention to that, but I it's a good idea, isn't it? If you think about it because think of all the bedroom developers who but, I mean uh, it, now... it
0: turns out that they've actually said they don't even want games. They actually only want apps.
1: Oh, oh. <laughs>
0: So the whole thing it... was like it was massively misreported. I mean, it shows how how big the demand is, though, for like sort of indies and hobby programmer people to be able to make stuff for their consoles. Like,
1: why would you not want games? What was um, the
0: thinking? I guess because it's an it's an app platform, right? They're like Windows Universal apps, and so it's going to be like a suboptimal thing if you use it for games. I guess because they. They're only letting you use, like, one gigabyte of RAM and those of other restrictions.
1: Uh, okay, yeah, that is Does that make not, sense? Like, yeah, it makes... Well, I guess so, but it doesn't make sense for... It sort of doesn't
0: make sense, does it? it would then they, I mean, to, you know, to Microsoft's credit, like, they have a really good program for getting indies onto Xbox One already, which is the Idea Xbox thing. Yes, yeah, so, and that is actually... That is a good program. I mean, it is we, a great program, and, like, there's, you know... You, You know, if you're an indie of a certain scale, you've got no problem, really. It's just, I guess, people get excited when they think that, like, like hobby programmers and stuff get excited when they get the chance to sort of
1: tinker, tinker.
0: Yeah, I mean, can you imagine though, if like a console opened up in the same way that the iPhone and Android marketplaces are, and suddenly allowed like hundreds of games a day?
1: I would personally not like that. It's not because (laughs) it's not because we're on the inside already. It's just because the noise, ah, oh, just the noise. I mean, I. A lot of people have said with the Ironcast, our previous game, oh, this would be perfect for iPad or, sure. you know, whatever platform. And I, 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 while we were designing it, I did keep in mind this could go on to mobile or iPad. And it was only when we got to the end of the project, I look at, look at thinking, hmm, it's probably going to cost about 20 grand to develop this port. And I thought, there's just no chance of me making that money back. There's just, the odds are so... So stacked against you, yeah. That I just can't see me even trying, which is which is sad because I've got quite a few friends who've developed really cool games for iOS, whatever. But they just they just didn't make a market. Make make a market. They just didn't make an impact. No. Well, I mean, how's
0: anyone going to find them though? There's no like discovery mechanism other than buying advertising. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the that's the nice thing about PC, I guess, is that there still is like a press who will write about stuff like there is still some way like of getting visibility on your game that isn't just buying advertising
1: yeah there's loads of ways in fact there's as long as you as long as you're basically able to link to your steam page from a website there's like potentially infinite ways you can get people to hear about your game there's just no way to do that on the app store so no No, it's a shame and um there are websites like pocket gamer
0: i think is it that one that's the one that's the one touch arcade Yeah, that one too. Yeah, so, I mean, they have had problems where they complain that basically um, people aren't buying advertising on there anymore or something. Mm. I mean, basically, that was, like, where people could go for reviews and those sites I think, having some... Oh, yeah, I remember
1: that. that. It's a little while ago, like, six months ago. Yeah, I was
0: getting this story wrong, but it was something where, basically, they had to appeal to to their readers and say, look, if you want reviews for mobile games soon, still... uh, I don't know you have to support us or something, because you know you'll get to the point where there's no review sites basically for apps that aren't just actually like
1: cross-promotion type networks or something. I don't know. yeah, it just feels like you it's, need to drop a million dollars on an ad campaign to to promote your 50 grand app, essentially to: Yeah, I and mean, then, and then it, with that, it seems to work as in it doesn't even seem to be a risk <laughs> from what I've seen, because there's quite a few games out there that um, aren't particularly good but have had some major backing when it comes to marketing and just phenomenal successes. And I just think, yeah,
0: I mean, well, you know, it works in the mobile space, but um, it all relies on this 1% of players who are willing to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on one game.
1: Yeah. So
0: there you go. And I, and I think that was in the end, what, what sort of (laughs) killed in a way, the sort of independent mobile scene, Mm. because these, you know, because indie indie sort of didn't want to sort of go hunting for whales, basically. Like, they wanted to sell their games for $5 or whatever, and that market just dried up. But to be fair, like, I'm no better. I haven't bought a mobile game in about two years.
1: (laughs) The last mobile game I bought was... Monument Valley. I, I bought think. Monument
0: Valley as well, yeah. But I yeah. And I bought before that I bought the room, but before that I can't think of another game. So it's like one a year I'm buying or something, so it's like, well, I'm not really doing anything to support the, the uh, paid yeah, mobile I mean, it's space. Really. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because I have played the sort of games that I like on mobile are the, the crossy roads, the things that are like an ad based like ad supported like thirty second time waster type games where you just I don't know. I just think I like I like that. I mean I originally came from like doing flash games and things like that and it's quite similar to that world really. It's like people making little short, fairly throwaway experiences that they're giving away for free and then people like them they can play them.
1: Yeah. That's I think that's where mobile belongs really. Um I do also like Hearthstone quite a lot okay i didn't get into that one and well Hearthstone obviously wasn't uh, a mobile game when it first came out but it's such a good ipad excuse me it's such a good ipad game that it kind of dominates my ipad so (laughs) i can't really see anything else getting a look in sure so going back to um
0: let's go back to sarah for a bit then so yeah
1: please let's do (laughs) you've got
0: um you've assembled this amazing team of people um are you all working on like a, a, like a revenue share, or have you got outside investment like to pay them, or how does that side of it all work? So we got
1: outside investment because Sony, of all people, felt uh, it was worth funding. So they they're funding our game. Oh, awesome! Which is really cool them. So that's also uh, it's not part of the part of Sony that um, that publishes games. That's right. what they call XDev, external development. Right. So the, the the part of Sony we're dealing with are called uh, creative uh, content. Creative content, sorry. Right. And they don't publish games, but they do bring them to the PlayStation platform. So they'll come, you, know, you, you bring your game idea or your already established PC game and say, hey, this would be really cool for a PS4. And they say, we agree. Here's X money to publish it or, you know, go, yeah. to port it over. But then you have to handle all the marketing or the publishing and all the QA localization all that stuff around it so yeah. there's that um but yeah the, you know there's revenue share within the team but it's the the real goal is to i don't i don't aim to try to make a lot of money off any game we make because to do that i think is to is to set yourself up for failure
0: yeah
1: um all i aim to do is make the best possible game commercial both the best possible game that will be a commercial success as possible and get paid while doing it yeah because i don't want to be a starving indie yeah. no uh you know like no. artist and no no what no, nobody
0: does like everyone wants i think the same thing in indie now i think maybe at the start of the sort of indie boom or whatever movement there was a bit of people some people not really liking money but I think now everyone's pretty much on the same page, where they've realised yeah. that you need money to keep making games.
1: Yeah, there's no payday coming. If if there is one, good on you, well done. You're, you're one of the. I won't see the lucky ones because it's always based upon some some awesome work that you've done. It's no yep. nobody's nobody's become an overnight. No. Hundred, hundred well, the luck there. is
0: the luck is sort of being born talented and having
1: good ideas. Oh, nice! Yeah, there's that. Okay, there's that part. Uh, but I think generally the best you can hope for is to try and make your money back. And I would love for Seraph to make his money back. And the, like my ultimate dream would be that it makes enough money to fund the next project without anyone else's help. Yeah. There's always people who can help you, but it's just it would be nice to be able to say, "Oh, wow! It made it made two hundred grand. That'll fund the next game we're gonna make, or next two yep. games, or whatever. If they're gonna be small ones, or yeah. And whatever. the
0: I mean, just indie games are so crazy because every so often the universe will just pick one game and decide to disproportionately drop all of its money on that game yep like uh stardew valley at the moment
1: yeah it's made and
0: by the- made by one guy in his bedroom over four years and now sold a, it's going to be a million copies soon i think
1: Uh see this this story really makes me sad not because obviously <laughs> it's fantastic for him and it's. It's, it makes me sad because the guy crunched for four, four or five <laughs> years and basically had no life. And I can just imagine him and his, um, his partner, his family or his friends or saying, hey, actually, I don't even know his name. Is. It's Dave. <laughs> hey, Dave, do you want to come out? Ah, oh, Guys, I, I can't. I've got to do some. OK, yeah, sure. <laughs> and just can you just imagine if it didn't pay off? And obviously now he can happily say this is the way it's yeah. it should be done or whatever at uh, but imagine if it didn't pay off.
0: But you know, it, you know that there are those people out there who actually did exactly the same thing and
1: it didn't pay off for them. Uh, for every one of this dude, there's probably a thousand devs who've tried four years of crunch on it a, on a beautiful project that they've worked on and poured their heart and soul into yep. and nobody even cared. And it's just, um, I just Have you wouldn't seen, recommend there's
0: that. A, there's a talk from GDC which is recorded and it's the guy, I can't remember the name of the game, but he, he went on to then make a game called Neverending Nightmares, I think it was called. Ah, yes. and But before that, he made a game that he spent four years on, and it came out and it sold about 300 copies.
1: That's right. Oh, wait a second. Wait and a second. this was a
0: really experienced uh, developer who'd worked on loads of console games and things.
1: Ah, uh, great. Right, so it's Infinitap. Hmm. I recognise... No, because the art style is the same in NeverEnding Nightmares as in the, pre- the previous game. It's kind of like that hand-drawn
0: isn't it oh yeah but no he made um he made a like a rhythm game
1: oh okay. the, guy, the guy's
0: <laughs> name is matt Gilgenbach, and he made a game basically and it made him he's he sort of ruined his life to make this game and got depression from it doing it and then never ending nightmares is just about it was a game about how how terrible his life went. Oh, no. Afterwards.
1: And did that one make money? Uh,
0: yes. It okay. Did. It did. It was Is this, all okay. I don't, I'm not going to say it's a happy ending, but um, let me just look up the the thing because I've, gone, I've I'm this far down the rabbit hole now. I'll just make sure.
1: We might as well finish the story.
0: Yeah, finish the story. Retrograde was the other game. So, if you ah, no I recognize the name. If you search for Retrograde um, GDC this talk will absolutely terrify you if you're an indie developer.
1: <laughs> Obsessive compulsive development is the GDC title uh, talk title. Yeah, no, I just that's not how life should be. And I think it's different there's a difference between people who are like oh, I really want to suffer for my artwork. I you know, if you don't unless you give 100% your game's never going to be a hit or whatever. There's hmm. that angle and the other angle is that I'm already taking enough risk by being self employed. And I've already taken enough risk by employing a bunch of people that I never meet. They're all in on just simple webcam screen. In fact Oh really? okay, so you've got, is it it's a completely distributed team? Completely distributed team. There's all these risks we're already doing. Where is everyone then? Where are the different um... Chris uh, is Milton Keynes. Andrew is uh... <sighs> Do you know, I don't know. He's not far away from Chris. He's oh, like, okay. So, mostly UK mostly, or have you got... Mostly UK. From uh, Fryingcast, Amber was uh, in the States and Neri's in, in Spain and now Blair's in Japan. So, it is fairly distributed. Yeah, that is, <laughs> that is uh, distributed.
0: But, yeah, over, the last thing over do is across go different. Without, oh, sorry, go on. I right.
1: said so the last thing you want to do is go without money as well. That's just, it just, just doesn't. It, surely it's going to impact upon your work, the fact you're sitting there thinking. I can't afford to uh, eat this yeah. week. No, that's bad.
0: I don't recommend anyone get into uh, indie development to the point where like they're not able to just cover their basic living expenses. That's I agree. That's entirely self-defeating, I think. Um, so how long have you been working on this game then? Because it, it looks quite polished already.
1: We started work on this in... I believe six months ago. Six months ago? Okay, so it's all come together like yeah. pretty quickly really. Yeah, well we well, because we knew Unity and yep. we had our prototype before we began, uh, we built a little prototype in a weekend. We basically had a little game jam in a weekend, built the prototype, and that helped sort of formulate what the rest of the game was gonna be over the next six to eight months of development. Sure. And um, after that it, the po- the positive side of taking six or eight months to make a game is that um, you don't get ever get tired of it and it's always fresh it's always really exciting and and uh, you put all of your love and, and like passion into it. Whereas when you're working a three year game, it can sort of start to peter off in the middle and then come back at the end. Mm-hmm. You don't really get that. But the the bad part is that you don't really have any time to make mistakes. No. <laughs> so if you find like after four months that your game concept doesn't feel good anymore, or it just didn't have legs that you thought it did that could be a massive problem and i luckily haven't experienced that yet and that's not a boast i'm just i'm saying i (laughs) haven't experienced it yet but i'm sure at some point i will i mean do you
0: think that the right thing to do sometimes is to just walk away from uh something even if it's quite far down the road if you just don't think it's gonna work
1: well that depends entirely on whether you're funding it yourself or not because uh say with our previous title we were we were like heavily funded by a publisher called Ripstone. Right. I mean, you've uh, got a commitment to them. You better ship something, right? Otherwise. You've got to ship something and it's your responsibility to turn it into something decent. I mean, obviously yeah. they, they like the idea enough when you pitch it to them. So try and make that idea unless it was just such hand-waving that it, it could never <laughs> have existed. But I would say if I, if say Seraph was an overnight success and made 40 million pounds and I could make... Uh, games for the rest of my life and I have to worry about paying you know, um, the, the cost of it or such I would totally throw away some games I would in fact it might even be might even be a negative thing to have that much money and freedom because you'll probably throw away really good ideas just because you, you can mm. um, I know at Media Molecule we were given the f- creative freedom to, to do pretty much whatever we wanted with, with the games so which is which is absolutely ma- uh, phenomenal what I found would happen quite a lot, though, is that you take some ideas that were really good, play them for a month or so, start to get bored of them and just move on. And that's cool because the idea was really good. It's just anything played for two months is going to start feeling a little bit tiresome, you know. Mm. So, um, well, especially when they're early and they haven't been refined. So I feel sometimes having um, limited time and limited money can make for a better game.
0: I tell you the part of sort of game development that disheartens me is when you notice all the time while you're playing things that are wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like, just say your character clips through the floor or something, and it's like you sort of can't enjoy playing the game because you just keep seeing yep. the character clip through the floor, and it's like you don't get that experience that the the player gets at the end where they're playing something that's had everything ironed out of it that's and it. only has the, like, perfect, hopefully you would hope, um, like bug free experience, you just see it in a such a horrible state for so long. That's it. It sort it's, of crushes you eventually. You see I mean, it with yeah. nasty grey boxes or like placeholder artwork and you see like things that are coded wrong and characters
1: hovering off the floor or like all these things. <laughs> well I I'll let you into a not a secret but something that's really annoying me at the moment is that I'm making the res build <clears throat> off Seraph. so right. we're going to Res on, on Thursday which I'm really excited about. Rez is and a little
0: they- gaming expo, it's quite a big gaming expo actually in, in the UK.
1: It's an indie focused gaming expo, so uh, be, you, you know we won't be destroyed by Call of Duty in the corner, for right. example. <laughs> we're all just competing with other indies and everyone who's come there is excited about indie games because they've bought the ticket so you know that they're at least going to be not like, oh, indie, what? Yep. They're going to be at least, you know, responsive to your to your game However, I've just noticed in the latest build that we've made um, that everything runs at 60, 60 frames per second, yes, except for the enemy projectiles, which run about 40. So as they're going through the air, there's a slight jatter to them. Like, and only, I, <laughs> probably only I can see this, but I can tell you something. During res, the whole time I'll be staring at it, like twitching, thinking, oh, those, those projectiles need to be moving a little bit quicker. Is that, that. just
0: because the physics step of Unity is... The default is like fifty frames a second I, rather than I think
1: 60. so well, what we found out is that we were running the we were updating the the rendering or the camera or something off physics, not off something else right yeah yeah that runs at 60, yeah so, so,
0: that- so basically um like in unity the the way the default setup is that the rendering is like basically unlocked, which means it runs as fast as it can, which right where if you've got um if you've got like vsync turned on, it would be sixty frames a second. Yeah, and then nice. there's a, you can also set the physics step um which by default is is fifty frames a second, yeah and so if you update i mean it's a bigger it's a bigger difference on p c where you have unlocked frame rates of like hundred and twenty frames and stuff, yeah, uh, it can still make a slight difference that that little difference between something being one thing being sixty
1: and one thing being fifty it it's noticeable, <laughs> yeah, again, like on the show floor, no one no will care, there will be less just blowing stuff up and going oh, it's fun. But I'll be sitting there thinking, "Ah, why can't they move smoothly?" <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: I mean, you can. There's some options you can do with interpolation and things, which will smooth things out a bit. I think, but I, I don't know. You tweak these things; it, it always works out in the end somewhere. <laughs>
1: that's it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you'll you'll nail that one before the end. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and if anything, I think just if you're targeting 60 and everything's 60, that's like a lot easier than dealing with like unlocked PC f- frame rates that go up to like 130 and stuff. That's it. That I mean, there you notice the differences like even way more. I don't know. I used to do flash stuff where we did everything at, at 30, just locked. Well, in fact, we never even dealt with lag because if it dropped, the frame rate drops, it just ran slower. But it still That's rendered true. every frame the same and it was like, it was much easier. Um, like now having to deal with real seconds is like a little bit, you, you you're you more likely to get what you get is um so what what you never used to get on sort of old games is a situation where the scene would suddenly update and it's done like a, phys, a a seconds worth of catching up all all in one frame uh right does that make sense
1: yeah yeah i don't know <laughs> we're going back I, a
0: few years now because everything is like syncs to real time now whereas in back in the day it didn't we've we sort of let frame rates just drop a bit.
1: Yeah, I, I like the fixed frame rate. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, I've, I've developed pretty much always in consoles anyway, so...
0: Yeah, so how did you manage to get... Um, I mean, Media Molecule, that's pretty cool as a first job. How, how did you score that one?
1: Well, uh, they hadn't announced the game or anything yet, so they, they were just a bedroom developer in a way. It, it was actually a bathroom it was a, a room above a bathroom showroom house. You know, <laughs> like a bathroom, yeah, show floor, whatever. Right. Um, so it was a tiny little room with 11 people in it when I went for my interview. And they'd, uh, they liked my application. And they said, come for an interview. So I went, went for an interview. And I could have gone to, to them or a much bigger company just a couple of miles down the road called Climax Studios who are making like um, RPG or something. Right. Uh, that one looked it looked from the outside to be the the best choice but I thought I really like those guys I really like the atmosphere they've got in their office it feels really cosy and and, and a little bit dark and gloomy but it was cool so I went with them and they ended up making Little Big Planet which was was just cool really really good and the other company
0: went bust or something
1: Uh, actually I think Criterion might not be in Kingston anymore not Criterion Criterion are still around Climax Kingston Gotta be careful with my searches here. Yeah, <laughs> Climax Kingston closed in two thousand
0: and eight. There you go. He dodged it. So there you go. Yeah,
1: I did not. Uh... Ouch. Yeah.
0: So there you go. So Seems there you good. go. And what does um? So sort of, what does a, a level designer's portfolio look like, or what did it look like back then?
1: Oh, it was Half Life Two mod. Okay. Um, I was making mods for Half Life Two at university, more than I was doing any university work, that's for sure.
0: Was your degree related to games development? Um, or not Related
1: in the slightest. It was criminology, which is the study of crime and criminals. Wow, so really not related. (laughs) Nothing at all, but I didn't (laughs) want to do anything with that. But what was weird was I I came out of university and just got straight into a a rubbish job being an estate agent Right, I just did not like it at all, and it was only when my, one of my best friends got a job that he runs down in advertising. He was like, "Yeah, I applied into advertising. I get to be an advertiser I was like, "Oh, cool! You're doing what you want to do with your life for a living." And mm. it's sort of only then did it dawn on me that I should try <laughs> and get into games. I thought, yeah. "Hold on, a second I make games in my spare time. Like ninety percent of my spare time is spent making mods. So why don't I just try?" So I just tried. It worked out.
0: Yeah. I mean, is it he, seems he's... obvious in retrospect that that should be your job. It wasn't <sighs> obvious to people back then, though. Like, it loads wasn't... of my friends who would have loved to have made video games just chose really weird, boring degrees because they just, like... <laughs> well. Like, whereas I was, like... Someone showed me director, and I was like, I'm going to go and do that because you get to make little computer games and stuff. Yeah,
1: that's the way. You just don't see it at the time. You just but, think, our real job... But is then for... now...
0: I feel like that. I feel like the people who told like me and my friends that not not to go and chase their dreams or whatever, because you go, oh, well, how would you get in? How would you get into the industry now? Right?
1: Uh, are Seems you saying? Like, are you saying how would you get in now?
0: Like now in two thousand and sixteen? Right. Imagine you were going back to where you were. Wouldn't it seem harder? Doesn't there seem like more people now? Oh, I'd say the
1: opposite because it's so easy to to get something running on a device. Like, if you wanted to make... Back then, you know, PC was your only platform. You really didn't have a hope of ever getting something into a console. There were no phones for games, so it wasn't even, like, everyone had a computer in their pockets or anything. But now, in fact, I get a little bit annoyed when I hear people go, uh, so, yeah, I really want to be in game development. Oh, great, excellent, that's really cool. So what do you like to do? Uh art <laughs> okay art's cool great so do you draw no and you go no. okay so do you? Well, wait do you, do you have like a, a little little wacom tablet like a little 50 pound one or something no I, I just i don't okay so you want to get into art and you want to be in games development but you don't actually do art or games development it's just yeah. there's no excuse now like the, the best people are those who come along and go hey check it out i've been drawing you know endless character designs for my deviant art page can i get into game development say oh flipping egg! you've got a thousand characters there they're all really cool it's we'll give you we'll give you a shot at studio it's it's that way around yeah i mean
0: you do i guess people do or don't understand that you just to really make a shot at like doing game development or art i think you just have to be slightly obsessed and you have to have a lot of patience an incredible amount of patience and just go through so much bad stuff before you get good.
1: Yes, that's be, true.
0: You have to make so many bad games, so many bad drawings to, like, get your skills up to, to where they where they need to be, I guess. Does that that's
1: make true. sense? Yeah, no, it makes total sense. I don't think it's a, in an industry you can go into unless you have a real love for it. Because if you just... Say you're just a, a really good programmer. I think this is probably uh, describing some of the people who are programmers in the games industry. You're a really good programmer, and you've just come out of a university with a degree, and there's all these different ways you could go. You could go into banking apps, or you could go into uh, you know networking for massive companies, or you could do, you could do anything. You could do make a. But then they think, oh, games. There's, I saw an advert for a game, and I thought I'd go for that. You'll probably do decent work at their company, but if you don't have the love for the job, you'll never be the best... Game programmer, because unless you can look at the thing that's happening on the screen and go, "Oh wow, that was fun,"
0: mm. you're,
1: you're never gonna, you're never gonna be the best at your, at your job. So you've got to have that love and that passion at the start. I think. Yeah, me I mean, you go. can never be
0: the best anyway. <laughs> I gave up no. trying to be the best a long time ago. Yeah. you can just be good enough that you're allowed to keep doing it.
1: That that's ex- <laughs> oh my good. That is exactly how I see it. I, I like to think of myself as pretty good at what I do but I know I'll never be as good as Hideo Hideo Kojima because I'll never, I'll just never have the time and and the backing to be able to be allowed to be that good. I have to just simply be good enough to ship something really nice that will hopefully make its money back and maybe allow me to make another one. (laughs) Yeah, That's it. I like that.
0: Yeah. So I think like, but I do think, I don't know. There are more, one thing there is, is there are more courses putting out sort of games design and development graduates, like a lot more so there's probably more competition for new entrants but i mean most people i guess don't go that extra mile they don't make like a finished thing like for example a mod that that works as like a complete like little game something like portal yeah um most people don't take it that far or just completing an indie game on your own is takes a lot of like, getting it to that final thing where you've done every stage rather than just having a prototype or something that you handed in as your final year project. Actually shipping it. Shipping yeah, it exactly. It's the hardest thing. Yeah. I mean, it probably doesn't help, actually, that universities, like, own their students' work because it sort of disincentivizes them from actually shipping their final projects as commercial things.
1: Is that how it works?
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, UK universities and American ones. Ah, uh, that's not cool. It's not cool at all, is it? So... <laughs> that's really? why um yeah that's why people's final year projects even if they like win the student igf and things like that don't always go on to be a real game
1: uh, shame it's a bit of a shame yeah, it seems a, shame. a bit
0: unfair especially considering you pay to go to university <laughs>
1: yeah that's true yeah exactly that's that's a huge part of it is yeah but so pay. yeah i mean i don't know if you I knew this you but also
0: to... if you invent anything at university the university owns the patent not you
1: what so. <laughs> It's what true. incentive do you have to even tell them about these things? Well, you
0: absolutely shouldn't. You yeah. should lie and you should wait till you graduate and then lie and say you invented it after you finished.
1: Surely Facebook would be owned by the university then. Or is that something
0: Um,
1: obviously they had their own Not an invention. Share
0: of... You can have you can have a company. Huh. But I mean if Facebook, I guess the difference is Facebook wasn't his pro pro, pro- final year project was it? He was a dropout oh, and true. it was, it was that's true. Yeah, good it point. was this thing he was doing as a side, like job. Basically, it wasn't anything to do with his degree. <laughs> but that's when the it... thing: is like people on games courses, they are doing their, their games as their degrees. Not that I don't think. Not that I think that many people are really pouring their hearts into their <laughs> final year games projects. Anyway, I know some people do. Like, what's that university in America that just puts out the insane? Like every year, they just put out just. <laughs>
1: Just, i don't know <laughs> they're called is it DigiPen? i don't i don't know sorry and
0: they just put out like absolutely mentalist stuff every year like people who've just killed themselves making these projects have you um you've i guess you've already won a load of awards and things haven't you for little big planet
1: yeah we hope uh, yeah little big planet made a lot of awards uh, are made yeah we actually created the world. <laughs> um, it it won a lot of awards so many that i can't actually think of think about now because it was such a a different game and i think it was it was really fresh for people who were a little bit sick of shooting stuff and wanted to be creative which is really cool yeah but then uh, you got sick of doing things that are creative you
0: want to get back to shooting stuff
1: yeah it's it's not it's not about being sick it's just you kind of want to eventually you want to just do your own thing and uh, there's only so long that you can as a game designer Design features for other games. I think, um, I think in the end you've, you've got to sort of think about what it is that you want to build. Yeah. And you know, Media Molecule have always been very, very supportive of me doing that because I think they they would I think the worst thing they could ever think of is people staying there just for the sake of it. Sure. And they'd want people to go off and do their own thing. And which what's really nice is I've I've been back to, to Media Molecule to work on Tearaway both the, the Tearaway games right of Vita and PS4. As a freelancer, I was able to give, like, everything 100% into those because even though they weren't my project, there was uh, – there's, like, another project lined up afterwards. So it didn't feel like – it didn't feel like I had anything to prove or I didn't have anything to uh, – what's the word I'm looking for here? I, I – you know, I wasn't uh, – I can't think <laughs> of what I'm trying to say. But essentially, it wasn't like I was um, – doing what someone else told me to do i've just i've lost my point you yeah, were there because so. you wanted to be there i guess Yeah, i was there because i wanted to be <laughs> oh my goodness that's exactly what I'm looking to say. Okay, i was awesome. there because i wanted to be there not because i was earning a salary or, or whatever yeah. and it was yeah yeah i didn't have i to mean yeah that's what i found like one of the things i didn't like when i was a sort of
0: full-time employee as uh, a little studio was just not getting to pick the projects i worked on yeah um which was nice thing about freelancing i suppose but you choose to go and do a project that's cool so you so you're a level designer so level design is a very tricky skill and getting it right i think is really hard i know that like i struggle with it sometimes are Um, you mostly a programmer um yeah i'm mostly a programmer but i mean i tend to work on a lot of projects where it's just be me and an artist or me and like a an illustrator who's done the sprites um so i end up doing like the game design sometimes or bits of game design anyway as well as the programming and sometimes level design um if there are levels to design um yeah so what, what so what i mean i have some ideas about what i think works but what would what you think works like what's what's your
1: sort of secrets level design is i i think okay, i think there's two there's two aspects of level design if you want to like really simplistically boil it down Mm -hmm. i think the first one is that you have to make a space that you want to travel through so i like to create shapes and negative spaces that the player will want to enter and run around in and Mm -hmm. climb over or go underneath yeah they have to it has to feel a little bit like partially the architecture of, of a of a level like makes sense you have to yeah. feel like oh if i go up over the top of this this thing here and then loop back underneath myself will that feel cool and I think, oh it did feel kind of cool and there's that part and i don't know if that's a part that you can teach as such because you just got to have a love for it yeah it's like i'm sure architects the there's good architects who um know all of the rules about light and space and flow of people and all that kind of stuff but then there are like epic architects who uh, just knew that stuff just, I don't know, automatically. They yeah. just knew exactly what would make a nice space and they just make some really cool shapes. And I think those people make really good level designers. But then the other half of it is really important. This is the stuff you do have to learn because you don't know this stuff when you start out. Yep. Which is how to direct a player through it and not get them lost. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's huge because that's the part I think most people fall down. Like, even the, like, even the, like... Uh, programmers who make levels they can make the first part because they're quite artistic or whatever they make these beautiful levels that look fantastic and have got really cool structure to them yep. but then they the players get lost and frustrated and they know what, what why are they lost why can't they go up the pathway can't they see the pathway and i think <laughs> the the answer, the, other the, reason is is, like, the
0: answer is no they can't see the pathway
1: yeah i know that's the other half of it there's a that's... really
0: good um gdc talk from a few years ago um where a guy's going over um how disneyland make their rides Um, to sort of guide you around them.
1: They are really cool to walk around the queues, aren't they?
0: Yeah, and they have things like weenies, which is like... A weenie is like a big thing that's like on the horizon or quite far off that you can pretty much always see and you can use it to orient yourself. Brilliant. So, like, that's one. Another one is they... You light up the path so that you always know where to go because the path is always sort of brighter.
1: That's right. That's a really big one, actually, in in level... In fact, I read an article yesterday i think it was about 10 things you'd want to expunge from the games industry today like take it out completely right and one of them was the need for things to be light right they were like oh i really hate it when i drop down into a disused sewer or a crumbling like warehouse and it's always fully lit and i can see where (laughs) i'm going where's the immersion and i think if they didn't like that place you'd be walking into the corner over and over again just you'd be stuck there forever and i just thought it was no appreciation of what lighting and lighting the pathway actually does yeah subconsciously for you to, to find your way around no
0: absolutely like navigating i mean if you've ever tried in the real world to navigate by a torchlight, it's very difficult right
1: yeah not often i've not tried it often no. well, you know
0: you go for a, you live in the countryside probably don't you in surrey no right? i
1: don't live i live in guildford oh I live yeah in guildford, guildford's the countryside <laughs> Yeah, but <laughs> if you go out
0: into the woods outside Guildford in the middle of the night with a torch and... Uh, to bury the bodies. To, yeah, exactly. And you try and you get lost out there. It's the Blair Witch effect, right? There's no... <laughs> you're just shining a torch around. There's no sort of permanent landmarks, right? You could turn... You could spin yourself around three times and not necessarily remember which way you even came from.
1: That's right, yeah.
0: Yeah, so you That's definitely right. don't want that. <clears throat> I mean, I was watching... Um, Uh, with my partner we were watching uh, with Amanda we were watching Penny Dreadful oh
1: Um, yeah yeah I really like that program it's a
0: really cool show but there was this scene that was like outside in the moors um, where the character who's a witch has this little cottage and there was just every time they go outside there was just this really bright green light in the middle of the night and it's just like it's only there like there's no like light source they weren't even pretending that there was any sort of real light source for it but it's just like well we need to see the actors so. you need to see them for goodness and sake this is a witch's house so it's all just gonna glow green
1: nice <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like let's not pretend to work out what the uh, the light source was but yeah i mean all these things are done for a reason and you know you you do see these articles written by people who aren't in game development where they do complain about particular things
1: yeah that's true
0: it's like i hate i hate loading bars why are there all these loading bars it's like, are we... <laughs> the yeah so like, yeah,
1: I'm sorry <laughs> I'm sorry that they ha- we didn't put them there for the sake of it
0: yeah so okay so yeah so but so you think that game you think level design is more of an intuitive skill where you can't necessarily like teach specific like hard and fast rules about it
1: I, I'd say that like it's half and half is what I'd say is that that part of it is that you just need to have a nice a passion for making cool spaces to run around for example i I always had more fun making levels for half life than playing half-life deathmatch right i'd make i'd have more fun and just enjoy it more and i think that's something you don't i think you learn that you just you just want desperately want to do it and it just felt compelling to make doom levels and stuff Mm. more than play them
0: yeah half-life had some great level design that used a lot of magic that used a lot of things with um gating where you could see through the you'll get to like a door and you can see through the door and you can see That's right, what's on the did. other side and you can see where you need to go, but that door right. is locked. And so then you have to find the alternative route only after you've already seen sort of the-
1: I'm impressed you that you know to. this, you've, you've read about this. So they, also, they, they did a lot of loops, they call them, yeah. where they would show you the, um, yeah, the panel, the, the basically the, the level's goal yeah. at the start. Yeah. And then, find, then you'd, you'd always know that it's just generally oh it's back there to the right i think you have a good idea of the yeah. space i mean and that just...
0: it's exactly the same principle as the as like disney's weenies that he invented in the like 1950s or whatever when they designed disney world mm. it's, it's interesting yeah. isn't it it's good i like the stuff with another thing is with like fake perspective and things as well like uh i read oh, i watched someone's ggc talk where they were talking about like pathways going off into the distance and the pathway was actually got smaller like it got thinner as it went off
1: ah, and clever. that like
0: double exaggerates the effect basically of like it be going off a long way even though when you actually come to walk that path you sort of see that it's actually only two feet wide when you get to the end of it
1: that makes total sense i mean yeah of course it does yeah
0: yeah and that's a lot I... like the disney's castle right because you that's got a fake perspective
1: built into it where yes it has it's like on the way out it seems like it's really close on the way in it seems like it's vast and epic and yeah it's just the way all the buildings get smaller as they get as you get further down that road yeah (laughs) it's funny isn't it it's yeah all these things all these little tricks
0: work i think yeah i mean so could you ever imagine a sort of games that aren't made like this that aren't made as theme park rides that are made in a that are more like the matrix or something where they're more like, a, the real world, if that makes sense. Uh,
1: I think it would have to be so much like the real world that everything is intuitive by what you've learned from 20 years of actually growing up. Yeah. Because like in, in a fantasy world, you don't know if the water's going to kill you. So already you don't know <laughs> yeah. if that's,
0: yeah, actually while you're here, <laughs> why does the water always kill you? Why can no video game characters ever swim?
1: I don't know. Well, they can these days more often than not because they're <laughs> open world, but it's, but yeah, you're right. Like in the, in you know, even just like ten years ago, water always killed yeah. you. And, and where did all this lava come from, as well? Like, <laughs> and also, why do people not burn to a crisp within a hundred meters of lava <laughs> as
0: opposed to? I know, oh, dude. I've seen a video on YouTube where someone walks over lava.
1: Oh really? Yeah. What? You
0: can walk if you're really quick. You can walk on it because it's not a liquid. It's
1: just a really. But just... isn't it giving off the most incredible? Was he wearing like a? Oh, I'm not even going to make myself... I'm going to make myself somebody really stupid here. He was wearing a suit, right? Is, no, he's just wearing normal clothes and boots. <laughs> I'm going to... As soon as this conversation, I'm going to Google this. I think
0: the thing is that when, as lava cools, um, it cools on the outside first.
1: Ah, yeah, but I'm not talking like... You know, the flowing lava you get in Doom. Your yeah, I think mean, that's lava, a video like, game, I'm though. That's, that's what I'm talking about. It's, <laughs> We talking about video games. Yeah, you can run across it in Doom, (laughs) can't you? Yeah, you can. Yeah, but maybe it's just uh, cooled down uh, a little bit. uh, Ah, that's his like sound of his um, taking damage from it. Ah, that's (laughs) uncanny. Don't think he he would just. Have you
0: ever done the voices for your own mods? No, you never did.
1: Now it's actually I've never done any voicing voiceovers in any of the games I've worked on. Obviously, Little Planet had voice acting because it's paid for by Sony, and they did all that. But not games to myself because I know that to be able to direct to be able to get an actor who's awesome is the biggest is a big part of it and then to be able to d- direct them mm. that must take such incredible skill and knowledge of direction and acting and all these different things that you don't really think about that to, to not to even attempt it without having first experienced it somewhere else you're kind of just gonna have a, a rubbish sounding game i think a, r- a rubbishly voice acted game i don't yeah. know if I, some people probably get it right straight away but pff, scares me the idea <laughs> of acting
0: yeah And um, what do you think about in games um, going back to sort of level design and game design things like uh, um, save points and things like that um, and checkpoints and things like with your with Seraph is it going to be is it a roguelike where when you're when you sort of die you're dead and you have to start over or is it. No
1: I specifically didn't want to do a roguelike because a little bit bored of them now not that they're not good they're still awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm just a little bit tired of it. And I value, I want to value the players. Well, actually, okay, so what we have in, in Seraph is a game which is a little bit more like a traditional 90s game in that if you do lose all your lives, yep. of which you have three per level, right. you will have to start again.
0: Restart the and level or restart from the start? Restart the,
1: the game, except right. for, unless you found a checkpoint token in the level, and it saves that place in the game, so what we have instead is a mixture of both, so the player's running around, killing demons, finishing levels, and after they haven't seen these checkpoint tokens for like two levels, they'll start to feel a bit tense, like better find a checkpoint token, Mm -hmm. because and then suddenly the the bosses feel a lot more scary, and suddenly that group of enemies feels like a group you want to avoid, because you haven't yet found that token, but as soon as you do find it, you pick it up, you go Ah, uh, relax. Because then you can uh,
0: always, whenever you play, you can always restart from that level? You can restart
1: from that point, from that, exact, from that point in the game, right. yeah.
0: So it's sort of like Tunnel Man in, uh, in Spelunky.
1: I don't know. I've never got far enough in Spelunky to... to oh, right. Tun-
0: so eventually in Spelunky, you, you meet Tunnel Man and basically, like, if you get through mines and stuff, you can perm- unlock a permanent... Um, door to, to jungle so you can start yeah, from jungle there you go
1: that's it's like that it's the idea that you know it's not just start the level again or start 10 feet back which kind of just feels like you can sort of just push on through regardless of how tricky the game is you just uh, i mean one of my biggest criticisms of bioshock although i loved it to bits was the fact that the big daddy when you for him he didn't he lost health and you died and when you came back he was he wasn't full health again he was half health right but you were and full so, health you were, you were full health again, so I just I just basically brute forced every br- brute big daddy in that sure. in
0: that
1: game. Mm. I tell you a didn't game like that oh sorry go on. So I didn't really like that. But I love <laughs> the game, but that was. just... I, I
0: think a game that I think got gets stuff really right is um you know like the the modern Rayman games or Rayman Origins and Rayman. Oh Legends. yes,
1: Legends because and origins.
0: each level is just a little self contained experience that always yeah. that you have to learn and work out how to beat. Um. And you can replay it to sort of do better at it again and like unlock different things. But um, ultimately, like that experience has been really tightly controlled. And it's like you can't accidentally start that experience with like more ammo one time or less ammo or nope, not that you true. have ammo or like, you know what I mean? You, yeah. Um, and I guess that's the where games design can get really messy, I think, is where... You, with, with RPG type systems like you have in um, games like Skyrim, like even though those are amazing, uh, you really never know like what state the player is in at any moment.
1: No, that's true. And
0: so it's very difficult to sort of create a tight experience um, where you know like at each moment what the player is feeling because they could be doing this one quest super leveled up, or they could be doing it um, just
1: with with no health with nothing yeah with with a with a rusty
0: sword and uh a little leather hat
1: that's true i never considered that before but yeah you're right interesting so
0: um seraph yeah so you you move with the left stick Mm.
1: ah right yes we should talk about okay (laughs) this is the normal
0: format of the podcast by the way it's just it's a big meander
1: that's okay, it's been really fun, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, so basically, you've got your traditional gate, um, platforming control. So you move with the left stick, you jump with the cross button, or A button. And let's stick to PlayStation for now, because yep. I'm, I'm holding a PlayStation controller, so I can, <laughs> I can think. The bottom You button. jump with the cross button, um, you shoot with R2, and you uh, dodge with L2. So... You do actually control the shooting. It's, not, it's auto-aimed, but it's not auto-shoot. It's not like it... it you have to do stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, so that's like the bumper or the
1: trigger? Uh, yeah, well, I'm using the bumpers, but most right. people like to use the triggers because right. they're weird. <laughs> they're squishy, and they don't give you the kind of instantaneous feedback that you need, I think, from a button, personally. There you go. We've got alternate control systems set up for most people. Um, yeah, so the idea is, as you're flipping and leaping and wall-running through this through the game seraph is pointing her guns at the closest enemy for you or yep. the closest two enemies if there's two enemies close so yep. she can split fire with effortlessly and handle the kind of situations that you see in hard-boiled and the matrix and that kind of stuff but do it and it just feels awesome but if you ever feel like ah oh, look out there's a healer and he's going to continuously heal um the the demons around him by the way if you've ever played an mmo everyone knows you've got to kill the healer first. So sure. There's no point in having a fight without killing the healer. No. You can nudge the right stick in the healer's direction, and it'll turn the, the what we call the soft lock from her auto-aim into a hard lock, which snaps that character and won't leave until it dies or if it's been off screen for like five seconds. Right. So it allows you to have that c- complete freedom of cartwheeling, somersaulting, smooth gameplay, but yep. you think, uh-uh, Can we swear on this podcast? No, no, don't swear. No, No, uh, stuff is about to get real. (laughs) Uh, Stuff is about to get real and go down, and then you can snap to the healer or the boss and focus them throughout all the.
0: I see. So you just give you give the thumbstick a nudge. You give
1: the thumbstick a nudge. You can keep because and it does it by angle, like the angle, the closest angle to the. So it's it's basically the direction that the enemy is on the screen. So you just go uh, enemy's top right, nudge the stick to the top right. It snaps onto them, and you know, even if they move to the left, it's still going to snap onto yeah,
0: them. Cause yeah, because the, the sticks are actually super imprecise, aren't they? Like, if you actually just had true aiming, it becomes very.
1: Someone drew a circle with a, with the a stick. On, I think it's like a, an image. And went. This is the this is this is the circle that you get if you draw a circle <laughs> with your analog stick, and it was like a square.
0: Yeah, I see that was um. Oh, well, that was the gunpoint guy. I always forget his name, but yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, a square I mean, it was, of just random parts, points not even in a neat square either a really super no, was, messy square it was just
1: horrible <laughs> and, it, and it, so much of it is like dead zones and it's just there yeah. so basically you know, you nudge to the right if you want to, to target a guy on the right and if there's two of them it just toggles between them as you keep nudging it so it's like we didn't want it to be like you could, it snaps the one that's the best one we knew that sometimes it would get it wrong or you weren't happy and it had it, so if the player just touched it again it would just pick the other one so right. if, yeah you get it a bit like tabbing in, tabbing through enemies in an MMO or like World of Warcraft or something. It just goes from left to right, and you just tab through them, and people often just go, tab three times. Yeah, they'll be on that. One. It's not the same, but a little bit like that.
0: And um, sort of how how long is it going to take players to sort of beat the game, and will get good enough to beat it, and then beat it? Like, what's the sort of sort of experience well, length you're
1: going for? Technically, you could beat it in one go if you never got hit right i have not done that i don't think anyone will do it for a long time but But you're hoping
0: eventually some speedrunner does it oh yeah totally
1: we've got so we've got a dynamic difficulty in the game for a start so i reckon to finish this game you'll probably want to get a decent number of upgrades to keep yourself alive i reckon it's probably a good 10 12 hours without taking the mick out of the play you know abusing their time with upgrades and stuff i wrote this about a good 10 or 12 hours before you can actually finish it oh, okay but then you can really practice uh, going to town with the difficulty system which is sure. the. How do you,
0: so how do you get 12 hours of gameplay sort of without it's probably about spending two and a half hours of on actual, level
1: design it's probably about two and a half hours of content from right. start to finish but there's just no this is no way that just, never finish there's
0: it. There's just no way because you have to get really good before you can do it or
1: because... You have to have the mechanical skill. Um, one thing I learned from Minecast was it was, a, it was a strategy game, so people learned an awful lot of their strategy from YouTubers and Let's Plays. Right. Which sucked because it meant that they came into the game with such a knowledge base already Yeah, because there's no mechanical skill to learn. It was just more like, ah, energy lances are good against this kind of shield. Okay, I learned that already from last night from watching Turtle Biscuit. And it's like... <laughs> Ah, you just robbed yourself of—you just robbed like us of forty minutes playtime where you where you learn that. Yeah, if you know what I mean. So this game, this game is probably like seventy-five percent mechanical skill and twenty-five percent knowledge base. Like you need to learn what the enemies do and um, how the, how they interact with each other and where the health kits are and that kind of stuff. But ultimately, you have to be good to be able to complete it. So I think there's at least that. You probably will be about twelve hours. I mean, our tester, uh, Zandro, um, he—it's a bit of a skewed one because, of course, I pay him. (laughs) But he's put a good hundred and fifty hours into the game now, and he is not able to finish it above difficulty seven or so, knowing full well that it's possible because he dodges ninety percent of the shots, but then he doesn't dodge that final ten percent, which are the ones that kill him. So, if you can dodge ninety, you can dodge them all. It's just that he's not quite mechanically good enough to, to do it yet, so, which is quite I see. So
0: you can start out playing it at, at the easiest difficulty and, and then get good and then ramp up the
1: difficulty. That's right. It, well, it automatically ramps up. So what happens is everyone starts at 1.0 and it's displayed on the screen in the bottom left. 1.0 is the difficulty. Uh, but if the longer you go with it without taking damage, so the more experience points you collect without taking damage, the, the better the game assumes you are. and will start to increase the difficulty faster and faster to the point that you start taking damage and then it starts to slow down. It doesn't instantly drop it. It just starts to slow down. And then when you're taking damage at a decent frequency, it knows that that you've reached your skill cap. And then it stops climbing, which is quite nice. So that you just get a natural... You get like a natural... um, it's not like it, like uh, what's the word, plateaus. It's more like it stops climbing as fast. It, it sort of goes, okay, you're around about 3.5. So by the end of this game, the game will probably end up being 5 through natural climb. But if you are amazing and you get to like difficulty 6 really, really quickly or difficulty 7, the end of the game is going to be like 9, which is going to be, it goes up to a maximum of 10. I so, see.
0: And did you, did you come up with this system as a sort of response to to how you were playing the game yourself or
1: uh this was more of a response of how uh, we got feedback from our own game actually um we had like th- the two main forum posts we had on the first couple of weeks were half of the people saying this game's too hard what the hell and the other half of people were saying the game's really easy i finished it in three hours sure and i was like oh well what <laughs> how can what uh how are we going to handle these two people so i decided that the next game we worked on was going to have variable like a lot of variable difficulty yeah so that everyone will be happy and those who are going to be happy just to finish the game at difficulty one or two or three they're they're going to have a great time Uh, just enemies can be shooting at you once every three seconds as opposed to once every half a second that's the only difference and the damage they do will be not like half a health bar but like a tenth of a health bar so it's still be they'll still be good at the game just won't be the same kind of uh, skill level required of, um, you know, someone who's 15 years old and has all the time in the world.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely like a bell curve of age versus video game ability. Definitely. Like no one starts out good. Little kids are terrible at video games. Yeah. As you get to your teens, you get stupidly good and then it (laughs) tails off
1: in your 20s and 30s. And also we haven't got the time to devote 15 hours a day <laughs> right. of your 20 hour, de- 25 hour day. 25 hour, you can tell I'm working in dev. <laughs> <laughs> <He laughs> found an extra hour a day to finish anything.
0: Cool. Yeah, well, I done. think Daniel, we're going to have to wrap it up in a minute. So it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Dude. I wish Yes, we
1: could. I need to eat some food.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't. Uh... It's
1: quarter to ten. I haven't eaten yet. Yeah, eat
0: for this. <laughs> dude, eat. <laughs>
1: cool. Thank when does the game, game come out? uh the gate right, so we come out on early access uh mid april i'm not going to put a date on it just yet because i don't want to miss it yeah. um pc <laughs> first soon, and, and then April for early access and then i reckon a playstation version two or three months later
0: oh okay cool so so yeah so look out for it on steam i guess in uh really the next month or so that's it that's it and then playstation later in the year Um, good luck with that good luck with Res. I hope uh, the the game goes down well and you sort of get lots of valuable feedback and things
1: yeah me too I hope I'm sad you're not going that'd be quite cool to meet you in person
0: yeah sorry dude I've got other stuff on unfortunately okay Okay, well anyway thank you very much thanks a lot cheers Ah, Bye. bye